0: Chapter two, Bible study for Colossians. I want to know, I want, okay, so this is uh, Paul talking to uh, church members in southeastern Turkey, I believe it is. And um, he's talking to the people at the church of Colossae. And that is in modern day Turkey. And it's actually the southwest interior of modern day Turkey. So here we go. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Okay, I'll stop at that first sentence because Laodicea, that is referenced in Revelation 3. in um, It's one of the churches that Jesus told John to give a message to and Laodicea You might want to read that one, uh, Revelation 3, because Laodicea was a lukewarm church. They were neither hot nor cold, as it said, and Jesus was about to spit them out of his mouth. So when we can relate to that um, in our faith journey with Jesus is that if we're not if we're just kind of lukewarm, you know, it could, you know, not very not on fire about it, but not cold to it either, but we're just kind of like, yeah, it's there and I don't really care much about it. That's probably a lukewarm attitude and there's a warning to that church that could be like people that are in that um in that mindset where the relationship with Jesus isn't the priority and kind of lukewarm about everything, that's not a good place to be. And there are warnings that are given to that church, which you could say is it was a literal church in southwestern Turkey, but it also has a symbolic meaning to all the people. Um, Anyone who has that type of attitude, God, as it says later in this chapter, because I read this, or actually several chapters, um, God does not show favoritism. So just because he wrote this to a church that's in southwestern Turkey, modern-day Turkey, doesn't mean that this doesn't apply to us. So if we see ourselves represented in something that Jesus or Paul or any of the gospel writers um, or the New Testament writers, anything that they say that relates to us, we can apply it to our lives because God doesn't show favoritism. So if he's calling out somebody in scripture, and that seems to sound like us, then we need to take that to heart and and do something about it. And um, so anyway, um, it's just something that, you know, stood out right away that um, Paul is contending for them for this church and for Laodicea. And so anyway, here he goes. Um, He says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom all in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So this is kind of important too. So Paul's goal is to encourage them and to keep them united in love so that they may know the mystery of God, so that they may know Christ, because that's where all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge can be found. Getting back to scripture, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. And I want to stop right there, because fine sounding arguments, there's a lot of people who are very well educated, that um, are agnostic or atheist, or they just they don't know, but they have all this like, human intelligence, but as far as it relates to knowing God, they're far from there, or they deny the existence of God, but they can because of their um educational background they may sound wise but yet they are not truly wise and so they may put together a good argument but when you really understand the bible and you really learn from it and see all the examples and actually experience a relationship with jesus when things start happening in your life that you can't deny that God had a hand in it. When that stuff starts happening to you, then you will see that all of these people who appear to be very educated, they may be educated in their, their area of specialties, but that's not even important because ultimately we're not living here for what is found on this earth at this moment because if we, when we understand what's in the Bible— The whole purpose of our existence here is so that in the future, we may be in God's kingdom and things will be very different in God's kingdom. Um, I don't even know if we're going to have to work, which is kind of a weird thing to think about. But when you read Genesis, it talks about um, because of the sin that um, Adam was punished by um, toiling with labor. So that, I mean, in a lot of ways, I think work is good. Work can be fun, but um, there are, there is also work that people don't like. And I think that's also as a result of sin. Like I really, we, none of us really know what to expect with God, but can you imagine? I mean, God was, God created the Sabbath day too. That's the the seventh day of the week. And it's a day of rest, and it was made for mankind. So God enjoys rest. God enjoys taking a break. Um, he also, you know, we are also told to work. We're not. We're told not to be lazy. He despises laziness. That's throughout Scripture too. Not to be lazy and to to work hard. But at the same time, to take a break. So, I guess there's kind of like a balance in life, um, is what scripture tells us, and that's what God approves of. But there's going to be a very different world ahead of us. When God is present, you know, there's not going to be any, we will be at complete peace. There will be no more war. There will be, um, everything will be uncorrupted. It will be beautiful. It will, there will be peace. There will be animals, I know during the millennium, there's going to be um, animals that are normally predatory um, today, but they will actually be in peace with one another. It's going to be so amazing because if, if if you're an animal lover, it's going to be the coolest thing because there are some animals that might be dangerous today, but during the millennium time... We're probably going to be able to go and pet them. We're going to be able to play with them, and you know, it even says like a child will be able to reach in with like an adder or a snake or something, and it doesn't even bother them. And um, they, you know, it's just going to be this completely different world when Jesus returns and restores everything. So it's just this is this is the purpose of our life. The purpose of our life is to gain wisdom and understanding. In fact, Solomon was known to be the wisest of all. And he had prayed for wisdom. And because he didn't ask for material things, God granted that to him. And he was known to be the wisest and was very successful during his reign. Anyway, um, he wrote a lot of Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes, he says, everything is meaningless everything in this world is meaningless because it's all about God's future kingdom. And truthfully here, um, when we have the understanding, it also says about wisdom. I mean, do everything to gain wisdom. Well, in this, what we just read here in Christ, in Christ is where wisdom and knowledge is found. So if you are not in Christ which this will get explained later, but if you're not in Christ, you're missing out on wisdom and understanding. You may have book knowledge, but you don't have universal knowledge, uh, God knowledge, um, which is more important. It's like that's the higher knowledge of everything is to to know God, to know what people teach is really good, but to know about God is the highest. And a lot of people don't strive to gain that because they don't know this. And that's another thing that we are here on this earth, anybody who finally their eyes are open, I was blind to this for most of my life. But when we know this, it's really important to share this with other people because it's only going to be a benefit to them. It's not anything, it's not anything bad. It's like, wake up people. You have so much like in front of you, an inheritance that God is giving to anyone who accepts him and who makes some adjustments in their life to, um, to prepare themselves for God's kingdom. And, uh, And people who don't do this are very foolish and they may be very successful here on earth, but if they don't wake up, if they don't know God, if they don't gain the wisdom and the understanding in Christ, everything they've worked for here on earth is going to be gone, never to be seen again, never to experienced. Um, Many people say, you know, you only live once, they're going to like live it up. Well, that's such a short-sighted, thought process because we were created to be eternal beings and this life here on earth is a temporary transition to an eternal immortal life and what we do here and what decision we make here is going to affect where we spend eternity and unfortunately, there will be people who will not be in the presence of God and who will be in darkness and who will be suffering for eternity. It's not just a, okay, it's going to be painful for a moment, but then it'll be over. Death is gone. Jesus got rid of death. So we will have a physical death. But after that death, when, when judgment day comes, everyone will rise and Everyone will be eternal. So what we decide here on earth is extremely critical because you're going to either be in eternal suffering or in eternal peace with God and joy and all the things that the spirit of God stands for. So this is very important. This is the most important thing that a person will learn in their life, above anything that you can learn in life, this is the most important thing, because this affects you for eternity. And everyone was created to be an eternal being. So that's what people need to know. What they do here does matter. So I'm going to get back to scripture then. Um, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. There's a lot of things here. So once you receive Christ as Lord, that's saying you're sub. When you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, that means you are submitting your will to God's will. The things you desire, you're saying, okay, I just want to, it to be what God desires, and I want to change my life so that I'm doing things that. God would desire. I want to fulfill God's will. I want to do things according to God's will, not to what I want to do, but I want God to teach me what his will is for me. And that's the surrender part to Jesus. And and then it says, you know, it says to continue your lives in him, rooted and built up, so strengthened. The Holy Spirit gives is what does the work inside us. So once we make that decision. That's pretty much all we need to do. If we make that decision, we ask for forgiveness of living our lives against God, which all of us do. We all started out that way and say we're we're done with that. We don't want that anymore. We want to be in peace with God. We want to be in a good relationship with God and we want God's Holy Spirit to do the work in us that we can't do by ourselves because we need the Holy Spirit And we ask that in Jesus's name. And when we do that, things will begin to change in your life. So, and then just to, you know, to be thankful for this, because this is not something we are doing. We will change. If you don't see a change, there probably isn't the Holy Spirit at work. Now, it's not going to happen instantaneously, but as a person who has, submitted to that, you will start to notice some changes in your life. If you don't notice any kind of change in your life, then I don't know if there was a sincere surrender to God uh, because most people who have surrendered their will to God do notice things. And it, it may be like, um, just that they want to do one thing, but they feel that they need to do the other thing. And so they go with the way they feel like, you know, God. I think it's the Holy Spirit kind of nudging people in a certain direction. And then when a person is obedient to that, there are usually some things that happen in a positive way after that. And it's, there's these little trials and testing periods. And we know from scripture and from what's happened to other people in the Bible that God will test us along the way. It's not always going to be easy. There's going to be tests that you'll have to overcome. And, um, and then when you um, pass that test with God, there's often a reward. I've seen that from other people, and I've experienced that myself. So getting back to the scripture. Um, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Even back in that day, I mean, think about the Greek philosophers. Um, They sounded intelligent, and they probably were in some ways, but they didn't know God. So these are hollow and deceptive philosophies. So anything that, any philosophy that denies Jesus is hollow and deceptive because it's manipulating people to keep people from an eternity with God, because we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through Jesus. So the other thing it says, um, I'll reread this, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. So human traditions, that's where a lot of religion comes into play, where there's all these like human traditions. um, And it's saying clearly here that those things are spiritual forces of this world, and they aren't of Christ. Well, we know that Satan is known to be the ruler of the air. He has some authority for a given period of time, which is currently, that's what we're under right now. And um, he does have uh, a spiritual force on the world. And if you are not in Christ, you are susceptible to the evil spiritual forces affecting your life and directing your life in a way that will only lead to eternal separation from God. So getting back to scripture for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. So Jesus is in control. He has all the authority and that's why we see, you know, in the past I've, I know I've talked about this before with the the demons, when Jesus commands them to do something, they listen to him and they, everything submits to Jesus. Even when he was out on the boat with his followers and they were sailing and the waters got rough and everybody got scared. And then Jesus stood up and he like calmed the storm and they were impressed by that and said, even the waters submit to him. So, Everything submits to Jesus. He has the authority over everything and power over everything. So it often makes me wonder if pe- it's, you know, like if people don't know this, that people don't know that Jesus has all the power and authority, how foolish is that? Because they think that all these other ways are going to get them power and authority. And it's not about a self serving purpose, because that's the exact opposite. Of what Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches to be selfless and to be a servant to others, to serve others rather than to serve ourselves. And, But yet at the same time, he is the one with all the power and authority. So why submit yourself to somebody who's under him? That doesn't make sense. Like even people who are seeking that, it's just, it's foolishness. But Getting back to scripture, in him, you were were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So this, this is a loaded sentence here because um, in him, in Jesus, that's, you know, because it talks about being in Christ. I mean, that's what we all need to be is in Christ. And that when we are in Christ, that means we have received the Holy Spirit from Jesus. And He re- he's asked that of the Father and gives it to us. So in other scripture, that's where we are told about that. But um, so before any of this happens, we were ruled by the flesh. So because of what happened back in Genesis and early mankind, um, when sin entered the world, at first sin wasn't present, but when mankind submitted to sin and believed a deceptive um, word of God's enemy, that's when sin entered the world. Um, that was I guess it was really when you know Adam and Eve submitted to that serpent and, um, and allowed that deceptive, manipulative um, uh, thoughts to enter their mind when they submitted to that. Instead of listening to God and hearing God's voice, they allowed intrusive thoughts by someone who was wanting to harm them. But it was deceptive, so they didn't get it. But ever since then, mankind was corrupt so we that's how we are born into sin because i had a hard time understanding that like how could babies actually have sin within them but it's only because of our dna because our dna was passed down and it was corrupted by sin and um that's i mean when when you understand that um that's how we are born into sin so everyone is born but Only some are born again, because the being born again is a choice. And just like Jesus said in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, that if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again, born of the Spirit. So when we are born of the Spirit, that's when we surrender to God and we ask for the Holy Spirit. And then God gives us the Spirit and then we are born again. We create. We are a new creation. Now, when we surrender our will, we're also asking God for forgiveness of our past and the sins that we've done and asking or submitting or saying that we want to change that. We want to live the way God wants us to live. And so we are burying that sinful past, that sinful life with him when we baptize. So baptism, it's saying right here, you know, having been buried with him in baptism. So baptism is that symbolic um, statement to the public that I'm done with my old life and I'm going to live a new life in Christ. And, you know, obviously with the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit is what raised Jesus from the dead. So it says in which you were also raised with him through your faith. So our belief in Jesus in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So in other scripture, it says, you know, the, the spirit who raised him from the dead. So the Holy spirit, um, raised Jesus from the dead. That's what scripture tells us. That's why we need the Holy spirit So, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Now, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the power and authorities he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. That says a lot, too. So first of all, when we ask for forgiveness and we're sincere about it, God forgave us our sins. Now, the law or the wages of sin is death. So if we sin, then we die. So since everybody's born a sinner, then everyone will die as a result of sin. However, God makes us alive when we are in Christ. And there's a, um, God made all these laws in these spiritual laws, and we only know the laws that he's revealed to us. And I'm sure there are plenty other laws of everything that we don't even have knowledge of. But because there is that law of, death for sin, but God allowed the substitutional sacrifice. That's why there were this animal sacrifices in the past in the Old Testament, because God allowed substitutional death as a consequence of sin. Ultimately, people still died, so it didn't really end death for people. But Jesus's death on the cross and resurrection thereafter did end death for all of mankind. So that no longer will affect those who are in Christ. Actually it won't affect any of them if you read scripture carefully, um, because it it's an eternal or have an eternal existence. Um but some of it's gonna be horrible because I, I I was curious about like, you know, and I mentioned it earlier just about like hell like is it just something like all of a sudden you die and then you're just non-existent anymore. But when I was reading scripture, it sounds like you're just like tortured forever, like just tortured forever. It's not like you just have to endure for a short time and then you'll be blank. You won't have any knowledge of it. You won't have any feeling of it. That's not the way it's described in here, in in scripture. It's not described like that. It's described as eternal torture, So you're going to have eternal life and happiness and peace and joy with God or you're going to have eternal torture away from God. And it's just very clear. And it's just amazing that people don't take this a little bit more seriously and have any concern about it because this is the truth. This is going to happen to everybody. So, but you know Jesus took care of it he's giving us you know this is like why Jesus is called the savior because he's making it possible for all of us to share in the inheritance that God intended for his children and none of us know who his children are going to be until you know as it relates, as it relates to one another until that day that Jesus returns and then we will see because there's actually going to be some people that are alive when Jesus returns, and they're never going to experience death. They're just going to be changed. So that's going to be pretty amazing for whoever gets to do that. So then, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So this is another part that's really interesting because in throughout scripture we see some events that were literal and then some events that um actually all these literal events also are symbolic to future events and they were kind of um it's amazing how God works and when you start seeing this that something symbolic has a meaning and it all relates, it all starts pointing to Jesus. And they are a shadow of the things to come. Like the Sabbath day, that's a day of rest. Well, in when Jesus returns, it'll be like the Sabbath day. It'll be the seventh day. It'll be like year 7,000. And um, that will be a a day of rest for people like jesus will be ruling it's things that are going to change the whole way that we understand living in this world is going to be so different and so wonderful when he comes back and it's just it i don't know it's amazing it's really amazing so i gotta get back to scripture so i can hopefully wrap this up Do not let anyone who delights in the false humility and worship of the angels disqualify you. So that's a little scary thing about um, all this new age religion and all these things where people are involved with angels. There are fallen angels and fallen angels are deceivers. It's, you know, there are good angels and there are bad angels. And many people don't think about that or don't know that maybe. And so they think, well, an angel, an angel is from God and that's a good thing. But no, not angels. There were rebellious angels that were swept out with Satan and they are working on his behalf. They're rebellious against God and they're deceivers too. So people need to know that not all angels are good. So really you, should not be reaching out to angels at all. Reach out to Jesus. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head. Well, we know Jesus is the head, so they've lost connection with Jesus. And that's from whom the whole body, supported And held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Just like we said, the Holy Spirit causes us to grow. God causes it. So when we've submitted to God and when we are in relationship with Christ, things will change for the better for us. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based merely on human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence, so we can't really hardly get away from this. But there's a lot about sensual indulgence, and it seems like um, that's that's like a huge battle for I would say most of mankind, um, and it's something that we really need to be aware of because there's more to this and. I'm going to end this for now, but we'll pick up in chapter three next and continue this discussion.